God, we lift your name up today. That God, if any are here today or in need, whatever the situation, the circumstance, that we would call upon your name, the name that has power, the name that breathes life, God, and that, God, you would move in a mighty and real way in the only way that you can and you can alone. God, we thank you. God, we ask that you would speak to us now. God, would you move within us? Have your way in this place. And God, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' matchless and awesome and wonderful name. And everyone said amen and amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. As you're seated, why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell them you love them in the name of the Lord. Well, today we are finishing our series entitled Shore Points. And if you have been with us, or maybe you haven't been with us uh, throughout the summer, we have gone through this summer, and we have, from Scripture, um, looked at various moments that happen in, around, or anything to do with water. And so we have been uh, titling this series Shore Points, Lessons from the Beach. And so today... Sadly, we are concluding our series, Shore Points, um, as we are coming to the close. Uh, I do want to make note and and make attention to one thing real quickly. Uh, Pastor Kurt, who uh, was going to be here today um, and and share with the the word of the Lord this morning, uh, earlier this week, he had received a call that his father... Uh, as maybe you know that his mother uh, has had some health um, complications over the past couple of years. His dad um, had was taken to the hospital earlier in the week and uh, was experiencing some complications um, with a infection. They believe it was a virus infection. Uh, he's still in the hospital, but we, we have communicated today, and he is, he's feeling better. His father's feeling better. And so Pastor Kurt is up there with the family. Obviously, uh, it's just a difficult season for them, and so he is just up there. And so we would just... Uh, ask that you would continue to keep him and his family, both his mother, his father, and his, the rest of his family in prayer as he is with them there. Uh, and, and we're just thankful that we serve an awesome God. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And, and last week, if you were here, Pastor Joe, he shared about a storm and, and, and walking on water. And we had a boat up here. And, and today, we're actually going to be looking at another moment with the disciples in a boat on the water. And, and for whatever reason, every time, it seems like the disciples are on a boat in the water they're never, never a good situation for them, and Jesus usually has to come in and do something for them. Um, and we would have loved to have left the boat up here, but I like to walk, and so it got in the way, so we had to move it. Um, I can't just stand still. Uh, it keeps me distracted, I guess. But Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse number 1 real quickly, and this is, it says, again, again, he, he being Jesus, it says, again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him so that he got into a boat and sat in on it, sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables in his teaching. He said to them. And so, again, we have Jesus. He, is, uh, he has a, a crowd gathered. And, and they have crowded him so much that the only way he can actually talk to the people is for him to actually get in a boat and go in the water. Because that's how many people were crowded around. So he is teaching from a boat. 
And so from that moment, he shares some things, and, and we can go through real quick. He, he shares with them the parable of the sower, the sower of the seeds. And then he goes and explains the purpose of parables, and he explains the parable of the sower. He goes through the parable of the lamp under a basket and the parable of the seed growing, and he goes into the parable of the mustard seed and having faith of a mustard seed. And then we arrive to our text that we are going to be reading from today, and that is in verse 35. And it says, on that day when evening had come, after Jesus had preached all this, all this messages, so he was sharing the entire day, and he, says, he said to them, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Again, let's just read that one more time. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they said, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can gather here. God, we just ask that you'd speak to us, Lord, that we would open our ears and our hearts to your word. God, I ask that, Lord, you would use me, for without you, I am nothing. And we do this all to give you the glory and honor, and for you alone are worthy, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, and amen, and amen. I was a senior in high school, and uh, it was, uh, I suffered from something that I'm sure most of you have gone through, and if you're a student, you will arrive here. It's this very real and serious condition called senioritis. I'm sure you all understand that. It plagues the generations and the generations. I don't know if there's a cure. Um, and so I had suffered from this thing called senioritis. It was my senior year of high school, and I was in my physics class. And how many of you know that near the end of the year, physics, right when you're about to graduate, you already have gotten accepted to college. I never understood that. You get accepted to college, but you're still in high school. What's the point of being in school? I would always ask. There is a reason. Um, just for our students, there is a reason. Um, I'll just say that. There is a reason. But anyway, I was in this midst of trying to figure out the reason, and I was in physics. Why am I doing physics? I'm about to go to school. You know, graduation's a couple months away. I had no interest whatsoever to be in school. And so, my physics teacher just said, hey, guys, we're going to do, do a project. And, and group projects are never fun. You, you guys understand that. Uh, you have the one person who does all the work, and everyone else doesn't do anything, and then everyone gets upset, mad at each other. And, and it's just this horrendous system that we have at times. And, and so we get this group project, and then he said the magic words, you get to choose your partners. And I was like, yes, and we chose our partners. And he said, this is a project that you are going to do. He says, you are going to make a cardboard boat using only cardboard and water-soluble glue. And that's, that's Elmer's glue, okay? Uh, and he says, and it must float in water. And not only must it float in water, but it has to have two of you ride in the boat and hold you. Again, this is cardboard 
Elmer's glue, and it must hold two people, two, you know, at this time we're 17, you know, 17, 18 years old, so we have come to full size at this point. We're not like five-year-old children. It must hold two adults, and you must, like, paddle. You must have, like, paddles, and you must float, and it's going to be a competition. I don't know what it was about this, but I was hooked. I was ready. I don't know what it was. I had no interest whatsoever in anything else school-related. But you told me cardboard boat, end of the year, and I get to go into a pool with a cardboard boat. I am in. And so my friends and I in my class, we worked tirelessly. Now, I'll, I'll give you this little disclaimer. I have no idea what this had to do with physics, okay? I have no idea what this had to do in regards to education. I think it had something to do with displacement and all that kind of stuff and surface area. I don't know. I was making a cardboard boat, and I was getting to go to a lake and get the paddle out. I was ready to have the time of my life. And so my friends and I, we tirelessly worked. Now, I will tell you this. If you ever find yourself having to build a cardboard boat, give yourself time. Layers are your friends. I might just help a student here get an A on a project in the future. Layers are your friends. And so we had worked tirelessly. We, we hung out. We were in the garage, and we would lay layers and layers of cardboard and, and Elmer's glue. I think we went through, like, three jugs of, like, the industrial stuff that you get at, like, Sam's Club or something. And so we had, we had gone dumpster dive. I mean, we were committed. I don't know what it was. And so finally the day came, and, and so, like, we were comparing all the other boats and they were just, they paled in comparison to ours. Ours was the best. I mean, it just really was. We, we took pride in it. I don't think, know if there's a lot of things I could take pride in my, high sc- my senior high school, but that boat I could take pride in. And we went all in. We had sailor hats. We had sailor uniforms. I was the captain. We had our skipper. All right, we were full-fledged committed to this project. And it came time for us to put the boat into the water. And I will tell you, some of you are thinking like, oh, it failed miserably. No, it did not fail miserably. It succeeded. It succeeded. It succeeded past expectations. It was the best boat. And so we had to, what we had to do was we had to take the boat. Two of us were sitting in there. We had our oars. We had our, our hats and everything. We gave it a name, the SS something. I can't remember. But we were in the water and we were paddling. We had to go from, from one side to the other and back. And we had to do that for 10 minutes. And then how, however many, whoever had the most laps during that 10-minute span was the winner. Well, I'll tell you that all the other boats sank. Throughout the time, they all sank, you know, because it's cardboard and water-soluble glue. I mean, you need layers upon layers and layers. And so we had invested all the time we needed. And it was so, I'll tell you what, our boat was so strong that at the end of the 10 minutes, the two, myself and the other person in the boat with me, we actually were able to stand up and jump in the boat, and it would not sink. Today, I want to talk about a life that won't sink. A life that won't sink. And so we go back to the text here, and Jesus has just finished teaching all day. He is, he is on the boat. He has been teaching. The crowds are all there, so much so that he can't even teach on land. He has to go out on water. Okay, they weren't giving him any room. And so he's been teaching all day. And so afterwards, he goes to his disciples and says, hey, guys, listen, let us go cross the, 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 the Galilee, see a Galilee, to go to the other side. And so in verse 35, it says this. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples. And so what did the disciples do? It says, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Have you ever found yourself in life in the midst of a storm? That has been the recurring theme 
throughout this series. I, I believe that a lot of times as we've talked about Shore Points Lessons from the Beach, a lot of the recurring themes have dealt with storms and seasons in your life. And what's interesting, as we looked, you know, we, we talked about Jonah and, and being cast, in, you know, casting in, cast me into the water and the whale. We talked about Paul being shipwrecked. Last week we talked about the storm and, and, and Peter walking on water. And, I, you know, it's been the recurring theme that has been talked about. I think a lot of times, though, when we find ourselves in storms, the first thing we do is we internalize. We go, what have I done? What, what have I done that I've ended up in this situation and, and there is truth in that, that there are times that we find ourselves in storms in our life because of decisions that we have made. Again, Jonah ended up in the storm because of his disobedience. But I also want you to know that sometimes, just sometimes, you will find yourselves in the storm even when you are obeying Jesus. See, the disciples, they obeyed Jesus. Jesus said, let us go across to the other side. And so what did they do? They didn't say, Jesus, we can't go. They didn't say, oh, Jesus, it's been a long day, you're tired, maybe we should take a break, maybe we should get some food, maybe we should sleep and then go off in the morning. Jesus said, let us go across the other side, so we said, okay, we're going to go. And they took them in the boat, and as we're going to find in a moment, they're going to end up in a storm. But it wasn't because they disobeyed God, it wasn't because they were being neglectful. They found themselves in the midst of the storm even as they were obeying Jesus. Can I tell you, church, that sometimes you will find yourself in the midst of a storm even as you are following Jesus. And I will even say this, that if you are not finding yourself in the midst of the storms while you're following Jesus, maybe you're not following him close enough. We will find ourselves in the midst of the storms even as we follow Jesus. See, if you're here today... And maybe you have this misconceived notion that if I follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. I think there's a song like that. Can I tell you that that is not true? That being a follower of Jesus does not make you immune, does not give you an escape option to the storms and the difficulties that this life has. We are in this world, but we are not of it. And when we are in it, it does not make us immune to the hard times that life has. Just yesterday, I was with some friends, and, and uh, I had um, I brought up this idea that, hey, guys, um, there's this, there's this uh, nature trail that I had wanted to kind of go out and take a look at, you know, and we had never been there. It was an area we had never been to. It was up in Bordentown, New Jersey, and I, I don't even know where Bordentown is. I just know that's where we were at, and, um, and I said, hey, guys, there's a nature trail. We should go check it out, and I said with full confidence, like I knew what I was talking about. They said, okay, let's go. And uh, so we went, and they were following my lead, and, and we were hiking, exploring, and, and we got lost. Who did they blame for getting them lost? Who was the one that said, really? Really, you led us here. Really, you, you got us here. Why are we in this mess? It's because you brought us here. Can I tell you, though, sometimes we have that with Jesus. We say, you brought us here, but can I tell you that Jesus has a purpose for everything? That even when Jesus leads you to the storm, even as he is leading you through the storm, there is a purpose and there's a reason. Now, we might not understand. We might not comprehend why. We might be saying, why, Jesus? Just like my friends were saying, why? Why did you leave us here and we don't have any water? It was hot and we didn't have water. And uh, it was just not pretty. They were not happy. God is good. And so um, we ask, why? I'm sure that's what the disciples were doing because, again, the disciples, they were just following Jesus. 
And Jesus has led them on the boat. They are, they are in the storm because they have obeyed what Jesus had asked of them. And in a moment, we're going to find out that purpose. As we continue in our text, verse 37 says this, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. And I love what it says here. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Last week, Pastor Joe was sharing, uh, and and our disciples were again on the Sea of Galilee. Now, this storm actually comes before that storm. And so we're actually going back in time a little bit from, from last week. And so uh, you would think they would get this by now. But again, as you, as you were here, if you were here last week, Pastor Joe shared that on the Sea of Galilee, it was very common for there to be what we call contrary winds. Winds that would come from out of nowhere. Winds that would, would, would kind of just, you would be fine, it'd be sunshine and, and, and smooth sailing. Out of nowhere, contrary winds would come, and it was just life on the Galilee. That was what was known. Again, and you could look geography and you could see how the, the layout of the land and being low under sea level and everything and how the winds would just naturally come in there. But that area was known and susceptible to contrary winds. And so it wasn't like the disciples were like, hey, let's go across. They go, oh, Jesus, it looks like there's wind. They had no idea. It just says that as they were on the boat, it says a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So this wasn't like an over-dramatized moment here where like if you ever go to the doctor and like you got to get a shot and like you start, that's how I am at least, and the doctor pulls out the needle and you start flinching. I remember I, I went confidently one day, I was a child and I was like, I'm, my dad said, you got to get a shot. I said, I'm, I'm good with a shot. You know, I had my tough guy moment there. I was like, I can handle a shot. And, you know, I just went, and he's like, okay. And so we went to the doctor. I was like, I got it. I got it. I can handle a shot. I'm a big boy now. And when that doctor pulled that needle, I said, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, right? It wasn't one of those moments, though. This was a real storm. There were real conditions taking place. It says that the water was already pouring in. And, again, some of these guys, they are professional fishermen by trade. They have done this for a living. They are used to sailing on the Sea of Galilee. So for them to be in this situation where they are concerned for their life, it's a real deal. This isn't one of those moments where they are overreacting. They truly felt and had very good reason to be alarmed and scared in that moment. I'm sure in that moment they've tried, again, being experienced fishermen, I don't know how great a fisherman. I mean, all the times we read about them, they always have no fish they're catching. It isn't until Jesus says, cast your, your nets on the other side or cast this way that they actually catch fish. But they are professional fishermen nonetheless. And I'm sure in that moment, they were bailing out the water. They had their buckets and they're scooping it out. They're trying to do everything they can. They're probably getting rid of everything just like we, we heard in the story in, in Jonah and in the shipwreck with Paul where they're trying to get rid of everything and they're just trying to just lighten the load. They're trying to get rid of all the water. And in the midst of all this chaos, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in all this? You have to ask yourself, where is Jesus? At least in the other storm, Jesus wasn't physically with them. But here in this passage, Jesus is physically with them. But what is he doing in the midst of all this chaos? The Bible tells us, but he was in the stern asleep. And not just asleep, but he was asleep on the cushion. Asleep on the cushion in the stern. Have Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're going through a season in life where just the storms are just overwhelming? 
The waves are crashing over. You feel inundated. You feel burdened. You feel like everything is just overwhelming. And you're going through it. And you're like, where is Jesus? Jesus, where are you? And you pray to Jesus, and you're like, Jesus, where are you? And, and your friends and your family are like, oh, Jesus is near. Just, just Jesus is near. But how many of you have ever been in that situation, and, maybe, and you know that Jesus is near, but it just seems like Jesus is sleeping in the midst of your storm? Anyone been there before? It just feels like Jesus is sleeping in the midst of your storm. You know that Jesus is present, but he isn't responding. He isn't answering the way that you would want him to. You're like, I'd really just like it if Jesus would just respond right now to my situation. If he would just change the circumstances right now. Jesus, I know you're near, but now I need you to act. Jesus, I know you're near. I know that you are are with me, but now I need you to wake up. Jesus, I need you right now to do something in my life. In a moment, we'll read, um, and we'll go through this, but as we just read a moment ago as well, that Jesus will wake up, he is going to get up, he's going to calm the storm, and then he's going to ask them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? That's what Jesus asked them after the storm. But in the midst, and of course it's easier, like, you know, Jesus asked, don't you have, you know, you know why do you have why, why were you lacking in faith? And of course, it's, it's easier after the storm's calm to be like, yeah, you, well, you, now, now it's easier to have faith, right? You know, Jesus asks him, he calms the storm, he asks him, why, why are you lacking in faith? But the storm's calm now, and so the disciples are they're probably like, oh, wow, like, it's, it's easier now, Jesus, because the storm isn't going. But can I tell you, it takes even greater faith to trust a sleeping Jesus It takes great faith to trust a sleeping Jesus. See, a lot of us have an asking faith, but I want to know, do you have a waiting faith? Are you willing to wait on the Lord? Are you willing to trust in the Lord that even when Jesus isn't moving at your convenience, at your time, are you willing to wait and trust and hope in him? And trust. You know, sometimes it takes time to produce something Good. In our generation, our, our culture, we are the fast food culture. It is so easy for us to go and say, I'm hungry, and then go right up the road. I do it all the time. And I'll go to Taco Bell, and then I'll go to McDonald's, and then I'll go to Burger King, and then I'll go to Wendy's. And I know them in order because I hit them in order every single time. Then go to Popeye's, and go across the street to KFC, and then you come back, you hit the subway. You know, we, we want food like this, right? We're in the fast food line, and it's like, you got to wait three minutes, and you're like, okay, I'm tweeting at McDonald's right now. I had to wait four minutes for my burger, my fries, my milkshake, my soda, and my, you know, my Happy Meal, right? And, and like, you're trying to get a response, because you had to wait three minutes for your food. But how do you feel after you eat that? I mean, nine times out of ten, and probably nine, nine, 9.99999 out of ten, you don't feel so great after eating it. You feel, oh, and everything, right? Yeah, you got it super fast, but it didn't do you any good. A good quality meal will take time. It will take time to prepare. It will take time to season and to marinate and to cook. And it has a lot of complexities to the cooking process. But when you wait for it, it is so much worth it. 
We need to let go of this fast food mentality and take hold of a full course meal mentality. And that means that we can't just have an asking faith. We need a waiting faith. So if God isn't moving in your situation at that moment, might I suggest that we shouldn't move either? If God isn't moving yet in your situation, maybe we should just plant our feet down and say, God, if you're not going to move, I'm not going to move. Isn't that the prayer of Moses when he said, lead us not where your presence does not go. If your presence does not go, do not call us away from here. Shouldn't that be the prayer of our heart and of our lives today? God, we will not go if you do not go. And if you go, we will go. And if you decide to stay, we will stay until you lead us elsewhere. That needs to be the prayer of our heart. And how is Jesus? You know, Jesus is in the midst of this storm as well, too. Jesus is human completely. His life is just as much at risk as we saw the boat here. It wasn't that big. It was able to fit on this stage. It wasn't so uh, ginormous that he could have gone under. It's not like the boats of, of today where you had, you know, underneath and everything. I mean, it was a small boat. I'm sure it was packed. I don't think they had the luxuries that we have today of waterproofing. And, and seals and everything. I'm sure Jesus, as he, was getting, as he was sleeping, he was getting wet. I'm sure that the waves were, were just coming over. And when they were crashing over, a wave would just come over him. And yet he slept through it all. In the midst of all of the chaos, Jesus is resting. Can I tell you today that if you're in the midst of the storm and if you are anxious or if you are worrying or if you are restless or if you are toiling and if you are constantly fidgeting and moving and you just can't sit still and you're just kind of like, oh my goodness, I can't handle it and this and that. Maybe you can learn from Jesus that even in the midst of the chaos, you can still find rest. I love what he says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. He said, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the disciples were frantic. They were anxious, they were fearful, they were doing everything they could, and yet Jesus is sleeping. And not just sleeping, not like just like a, uh, go away, wake me up, but he is deep asleep as he was sleeping through the storm. Verse 38 we find, it says, And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The audacity they have to ask Jesus if he cared. Have you ever been there? I've been there before. There have been seasons in my life I said, Jesus, do you, God, do you really care? And I think we shy away from that, but there, I think there's something important to know about going to God in sincerity. This isn't one of those moments where you go to him and you say, you got to do something, but rather just go to him honestly as you are. But there are two things that can happen here. Two, there's one good thing and one danger that could happen. When we go to him honestly, one thing that can happen, we allow God to show us the bigger picture. When we go to him honestly and say, God, I, I, I don't know if you care, I don't know if you hear me. And at that moment, if we go humbly before him, he can give us the bigger picture. 
But if we go with an agenda, fix it, God, then we bring the perspective to ourselves and not to him. And then we begin to do this. And no one here has done this, I'm sure. But then all of a sudden you start going around to see if other people care about your situation. And if they don't know what you're going through, they don't care. Hey, how's it going? Oh, how are you today? Oh, they didn't didn't ask about my situation. They don't know what's going on, so they don't care. You begin to have a pity party for yourself. They don't understand what I'm going through, and it becomes all about you. And I love what we read a few moments ago. I want you to take a look at this. Verse 36, it's a small little sentence here. And it says, in leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And this is a critical sentence I want you to get. And other boats were with him. Other boats were present. See, what happens is, is when you get to this point where it's all about you, yourself, and I, me, myself, and I, all about what I have going on, you lose sight that there are other boats around in the midst of the storm. You lose sight that there are other people in this world who are going through it as well. And when it becomes all about you, you miss the opportunity to reach other people. See, in the midst of the storm, we tend to focus on ourselves. We internalize. We close off. We withdraw. We look at what was going on in our lives, and, and we neglect to see what is going on elsewhere. Sure, it's easy when the seas are calm. To stand in your boat and go, hey, look what's going on. Hey, man, how you doing? Water's nice out here, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just going to go relax. I got the iced tea over there, the lemonade. It's easy when the seas are calm to recognize other boats in the water. But when the storms are waving, when the storms are chomping, when the waves are crashing overboard, it's difficult. But we can't lose sight of the other boats in the storm. It says, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So Jesus wakes up. They finally, he wakes up to them calling. He doesn't wake up to the storms, but he wakes to their call, their cries. And if this story was being told, I'm sure that if, if it was being told from a, uh, without being read, the person who would be sharing would say, and he got up and he rebuked, and we would all think that he would go to rebuke the disciples, right? Oh, he's going to, you know, but he doesn't rebuke the disciples. He rebukes the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And I just want to throw this in there. I believe the calm that took place on that sea was a reflection of the great calm that was within Jesus at that time. That even in the midst of the chaos, there was a great calm and peace within Jesus. And he said to them, why are you so afraid, and have you still no faith? And I love what it says there. And they were filled with great fear, and said to one, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Can I tell you that when you're in the midst of the storms, when you come through on the other side, your perspective of Jesus changes. Can I tell you that your perspective of who Jesus is changes and you can no longer cling to the Jesus you once knew, but now you can only cling to the Jesus you now know. This storm changed the perspective of the disciples of of how they viewed Jesus for the rest of their lives. Now, I'll tell you this, they had a lot of those moments. They had a lot of those moments. And that's the beauty about following Jesus is that that every time Jesus can show you a new perspective of who he is. But if you're trying to cling to the Jesus you once knew, you can never look and cling to the Jesus 
you can now know. And Jesus wants to show you who he is now and today. But if you're too busy looking at what you once knew, you can never look forward to what you can now know today. The disciples never saw Jesus the same. As Jesus brings us through these moments and storms in our lives, we can never view him the same. And I want to close with this. I'm going to ask if Lauren can come up. But maybe, just maybe you're in the midst of the storms today. And you're saying, Pastor Brian, that sounds great to get through the other end of the storm. And I can't wait to, to hold on to Jesus after he brings me through. But I'm still in it right now. How do I have a life that doesn't sink? Maybe you're here today and you are inundated. You are overwhelmed. You are just feeling the pull of the waves. You are at the mercy of the storms of life. You feel like you're just in your little boat and you have no control and you're just overwhelmed right now. Can I tell you that even in the midst of storms, you can have a life that won't sink. And I want to look real quickly just a moment in Psalm 130. In Psalm 130, a short psalm. There's eight verses, four stanzas. And the psalmist writes in verse one, he says, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice from within. The psalmist is writing, he's saying, from the depths, from the depths out of the depths from within me, deep anguish from the depths of the sea. The, the, the psalmist is in deep turmoil. He's in deep chaos. He is in the midst of it. He is inundated. It just says, and I love the imagery, out of the depths, I just get the imagery of out of the depths of the sea in the midst. Maybe he's in the storm just like the disciples were. There is deep anguish. He's overwhelmed. He's submerged. He's inundated. He is going through it. And again, he, he, he's crying out to God, and this isn't, a, this isn't a begging, but this is a broken state. If you want a soul that won't sink, you need to acknowledge where you are. Don't underestimate the ability to admit where you are. We sometimes have this disillusioned perspective of life where we can just put a facade up, we can put a face up, we can lie to everyone, and that will make it all better. Can I tell you, there is power in acknowledging where you are. And if you want a life that won't sink in the midst of the storms, you have to be willing to acknowledge where you truly are. Can I tell you that a life that won't sink requires you to admit where you truly are? And that is when you are already in the process of his work. In the second stanza, it says this, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. In this second stanza, if you want a life that won't sink, you have to first recognize where you are, and then you need to recognize who he is. God, you're above me. You're above us. There is none greater, just as we sung earlier. There is no other name from that which can save us except for you. And not only is he, is he greater, not only is he above us, but with him there is forgiveness. And this forgiveness is constant. 
It's ceaseless. It's continual. It's ongoing. The grace of God is continual. Can I tell you this, church? We need God's grace as much today as we did on the day of our salvation. If for one moment you think that you don't need as much of God's grace today because he saved you back then, then you surely don't know the grace and the goodness of God because we need God's grace today as much as we did yesterday and we will need God's grace tomorrow as much as we did today. His grace and his mercy is ceaseless and continual and ongoing and we need it for today. And he's in fear. The psalmist is in fear in awe, in reverence, understanding who he is. God, this is who you are in spite of of who I am. And then we arrive to our third stanza. It says, I wait for you, Lord. My soul waits. And in his hope, in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And in his word, I hope. Can I tell you, church, that hope is the understanding it will happen. Hope is the understanding, not that it may happen, not that it could happen, not that it should happen, but hope is the understanding that it will happen. We say, I'm going to build this. I'm going to envision this. I'm going to plan for this. But that is man-focused and that is man-created. But when we say hope, our hope is not in man-made ideas or man-made accomplishments, but our hope is in the Lord. And so when we say hope, my hope is in the one who has already proven himself faithful, who will never let me down. And in his word, I do hope. The psalmist is now taking hope in the promises of God. His hope is in what is coming. He says, I will wait. We talked about that a moment ago. We can't just have an asking faith, but we need to have a waiting faith. If we want a soul, a life that won't sink, we need to be willing to wait in the Lord and hope in the Lord. And then he repeats this line, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. I believe he put that there not because of error, but for emphasis What did a watchman do? A watchman would sit on the walls of the city. And the watchman's responsibility, at least the one that we're talking about here, he would wait for the sunrise. And that was his responsibility. He would wait for the sunrise. Now, if you were to ask the watchman, say, hey, what are you doing? I'm waiting for the sunrise. Are you you sure it's coming? Absolutely. Are, Are you sure it's going to come? What if it doesn't come? It's coming. It will be here. You just have to wait. See, the watchman understood that the sun will always rise. The watchman didn't, but the watchman also knew where the sun would rise. And so, church, can I tell you that if we're going to wait and hope in the Lord, we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. We need to be waiting on the Lord by keeping our eyes focused on the Lord. You can say I'm waiting for the Lord, but if you're looking this way, if you're turning to the world, if you're turning to this person or that person or that artist or that athlete, if you're looking for the best self-help books and you're saying I'm waiting, but I'm looking this way, you're not going to see when Jesus comes. The watchmen would wait, but they would wait watching for the sunrise and they knew where the sun would rise. Maybe they didn't know how long. They didn't have clocks back then. They couldn't say, okay, two hours and 37 minutes, but they would wait because they knew the sun was coming. 
can I tell you that even in the midst of your storm, the sun will rise on your current situation. And then finally, in the fourth stanza, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. In this fourth stanza, I believe that the writer recognizes that he is not the only one. We are not alone. You are not by yourself. There are other people. There's a whole world. We have a community of believers right here, right now. There's a whole community outside these walls. We have a whole country and a whole world of people. It's important to recognize that you are not alone. I love Elijah. Elijah in 1 Kings, he says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And I love God's response. He says, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel. Elijah had this idea that he was all alone, and yet God reminded him, there's still 7,000 who haven't bowed down before Baal. Can I tell you, you might feel alone, but if you want a life that won't sink, you need to remember that you are not alone in the midst of the storm. That there are others with you. That there are others that you can reach out to. And that there are others that you can help as well. See, I love this moment, because in the beginning we have the psalmist going, woe is me! Woe is me. And then at the end of it, which just in eight verses, he is now saying, Oh, Israel, all people, hope in the Lord. He goes from a pitiful, he goes from pitiful to preacher in just eight verses. But I want to just highlight this important thing real quickly. That in this moment of eight verses, I don't believe his situation has changed yet. His circumstances has not changed yet, but his internal perspective has been transformed. If you want a life that won't sink, you need to have not your current situation on the outside change, but you need to have the internal perspective of your life be changed. He goes from pitiful to preacher. If we want a life that won't sink... We need to acknowledge where we are. Acknowledge our current situation. We then need to acknowledge who God is. Acknowledge who he is. What has he done? What is he doing? Recognize that this won't last. This isn't forever. I will wait because I know you are coming. I will take hope in your word. And then finally recognize that I'm not the only one. We are not alone. His circumstances didn't change. His situation didn't change. But I truly believe that this was a man whose life did not sink in the midst of the storm. You're going through it. And I'm closing with this. You're in the midst of your storm. Can I tell you, just maybe, just maybe, you are in the perfect opportunity to now help other people. Don't withdraw yourself. Don't close yourself in. Because can I tell you that hurt people can help people? As long as you go with the right perspective. If you're going to bring people down, you can hurt people. But if you go and say, listen, we're in the midst of this. Let's get through it together. We can be the church and what God is doing. We're going to go through the storms. 
They're going to arise out of nowhere. They're going to come out of nowhere. We can't predict. There's no warning signal for it. We need to always be ready. But when the storms come, can I tell you that your life won't sink if you trust in God, if you put your hope in him. Acknowledge where you are. Acknowledge who he is. Put your hope and recognize that this is only temporary. And even if it goes to the end of your days here on earth, that one day you will be made whole and perfect in his presence in heaven. And to remember that you are not alone. And that others are with you. And that others are going through it. And that we can lean on one another as well. That even in the midst of the storms, we can have a life that won't sink. And then one day, whether that's today or tomorrow, next month, next year, ten years from now, I don't know. But one day Jesus will come to your situation and he will say, peace. And a great calm will come. Let us find our rest in him and be a life that won't sink. Let me pray over you this this morning. Heavenly Father, God, I just lift up each and every person here in this room. God, I lift them up. God, whether they are going through the storm or maybe they are coming out of the storm or they are about to enter a storm, but God, I ask that you would make yourself known in their lives. God, even though you might be sleeping, you might not be moving, that you would remind them that you are there. Let them not doubt the presence of their Savior in the midst of the storm, God, but let them know that you draw near, that they would cast their cares upon you, and that you will give them rest. That, God, we would, even in the midst of storms, take hold of you, that we may be a life that won't sink. We thank you, Lord. Be with us, God, this week, that we may go forth And even in the midst of our difficulties, that we would still continue to share the love and the goodness that is you and you alone. That all the world may know. In Jesus' matchless and awesome and wonderful name. And everyone said amen and amen.